Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. No matter where you are in the world, I'd like to welcome you back to another episode of Whose World Is This? with your host, Junior Renee Bobrun. If you are a new listener, I'd like to welcome you. If you are a reoccurring and repeat listener, I'd like to welcome you back to this ongoing conversation. A uh, little housekeeping. Just to start it off, I'd like you guys to check out onelavi.com. That's O-N-E-L-A-V-I.com for your vitamin and supplement needs. Check it out. I guarantee you will not be disappointed. A whole plethora of products that's that you're familiar with and some that you are not so familiar with but check it out and do your own investigation on the products and how they're sourced and let me tell you you will not be disappointed and also check out chavezhouse.com if you're looking to write a book you are you will not be disappointed we have the lenore batista journals we also have the uh, uh success blueprint the essential self-publishing success blueprint that was rated number one on amazon in the month of April of this year, it's doing really well. And she, Lenore Batista is doing workshops. You can follow her at Truly Lenore on Instagram. Me, you can email me with any of your suggestions, questions, and concerns at whose world is this two one at gmail.com. Whose world is this two one at gmail.com, as well as following us on Instagram at whose world is this two zero two one. I'm enjoying doing this show. Uh, there's a lot going on um, behind the scenes. I'm like I said before on previous episodes, I'm looking to commodify this and turn this to a stream of income. Actually, I have to text myself while we're speaking. There's something that I that I that came to me. I have an episode idea, you know, and uh, I think it will make a great show. Hold on. There we go. All right. It's in there. So in any case, <sighs> today, what a day. As you guys know, I take a title. The title is not random, but the ideas that come from that title are random. The title is sourced from somewhere. You know, I never tell anybody where the, you know, where the, where the title is sourced from, but some people have figured it out, but you know. Um, and then based on how I'm feeling, I'll take a title and I'll take that title and I'll just literally go with an idea and go with the feeling and it's, most likely a culmination of things that I might have been going through over the last week or so, or even things that I just swirl around in my head over years. And finally, they just I'm able to I'm able to uh, create a cohesive thought around it and, 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 and actually articulate what I'm feeling about a particular event, idea, feeling. So today I want to speak about things that I hate. Remember, this is a uh, a family show, so you know, it's not going to be any provocative language or anything like that. This is suitable for people ten years old and up. I think uh, it would have been suitable for me at ten. I'll tell you that much. B but I would like to say something. One of my episodes, season two, uh, season two, episode six, uh, "Take It in Blood." That episode, for for whatever reason, is it, it's continuously unavailable. Constantly, people are telling me that it's unavailable. When I when I when I click play, it doesn't play, and I have a, and I'm assuming it's because the title has the word blood in it, and maybe it's being flagged by whatever powers that be, which I find to be somewhat ridiculous. 
um, considering the things that go unflagged in this world. And uh, that episode has zero to do with violence or shedding blood or taking a life or anything like that. So as a matter of fact, that episode, one of one of one of my listeners contacted me and told me that episode was so important that they shared it with someone else that was going through something. That episode dealt with holding on to your authenticity with your life, literally holding on to who you are with with dear life and 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 finding your truth. That's all it dealt with. So, the you know, and take it in blood is a, is is a phrase that I used that's a, a a catchphrase that I used to actually get that point across. So, you know, so I got to find out what's going on with that. You know, in any case, this episode is is titled What Do I Hate? That's the tentative title. Hate's going to be in the title. But I'm title. I'm saying it's what do I hate <clears throat> at the moment. I may change it a little bit. I may have to change it because you know, segueing into this because who knows? Maybe the flaggers out there will say, "Oh, oh, oh he's, he, this is hate speech." No, because the word hate has been co-opted because we have hate groups and hate groups. What do they do? They have such, because by definition, hate is what? It's an intense dislike or a passionate, intense dislike for something. But you can dislike something or someone so much that you would want to cause harm to them. That is not what I'm talking about. I hate the taste of liver. I don't want to do harm to the liver. You understand? You know, there's certain things like, oh, I hate that show. I don't want to do any harm to the people on that particular program, the people who've created it, the actors, the sponsors, the, the, the network that distributes the show, <laughs> executive, you, you know. So I do have intense dislikes. I do. I am not a shaman. I am not a guru. I am not one of, I'm not people that stay in a state of perpetual peace where all things just are and all that is will always be and it is what it is. I have intense dislikes. Intense. There are things that I'm like, nah, no. Okay? And I and I and I re-examine those dislikes to see if I still feel that way about them a day or two, a year or three later. And sometimes my dislike for it may dissipate. And sometimes it gets stronger. Okay. So I'm gonna speak about something that I dislike right now or I hate. <clears throat> maybe many of you don't know, but uh, and some of you do if you're a new listener or maybe you're a, a, a returning listener and you don't know this. I'm, I'm born and raised in New York City. I'm born and raised in the United States of America. My parents are not. My pa- so I'm a first generation American. I am a Haitian American. First generation. My parents are both from Haiti. My father's from the city. My mother's from the country. If you guys have watched the news out of the United States or wherever you are in the world listening, because I actually do have listeners outside of the contiguous United States, um, you will know that last week or or maybe even the week before. I can't even remember right now. But the president of Haiti, Jovenel, Jovenel Moise, was assassinated. Assassinated in his home. Killed. His wife, injured, was flown to Miami from Haiti because Miami is a two-hour flight. I mean, Haiti, Miami is a two-hour flight from Haiti, but 
I think she was helicoptered out injured and she's in Miami. I don't know how she's doing. I think she's okay. I hope she's okay. Um, politics aside, politics aside, because the politics in Haiti is so layered and so convoluted that for me to get into a discussion about Haitian politics could not start with what's occurring in 2021. And, and, and to be quite honest with you, if I may be so candid, even the politics of this particular out, this president that has been, uh, that has been killed, um, I'm not clear on his politics. You guys know I'm a political animal. Studied politics my whole life. Before I went to school for it, it's been something that has been of great interest to me. And the politics of, of, of Haitian leaders is all over the place. Depends on who you ask. This politics can be north, it can be south, it can be hot, it can be cold. You just don't know. So cutting through the noise to find out what a person's actual policies are and why, very, very difficult. But politics aside, what do I hate? I hate that um, as a first-generation American of means that Haiti, such as it is, is not an option. I don't feel it's an option for me to relocate to. I've visited Haiti several times in my life, several times. I would go visit Haiti on a weekend and come back. I love the country. Don't like the country. I love the country. I love the food. I love its history. I love the scenery. I love the people. I love the culture. And <clears throat> it's not a place that I can call home, even though when I'm there, it feels like home. I'm going to say something. Born and raised in New York, <clears throat> lived in Rome, lived in Hawaii, lived in the South, lived in Florida. There is no place that I've lived or visited that makes me feel more at home than, I'm when, than when I am in my mother's hometown in Haiti. With all the accoutrements that I have at my disposal, being a big city kid, one can argue one of the biggest city kids. And I go to my mom's simple, quaint home in Haiti, no electricity. We need a generator to put, we need to put gas in the generator and the generator runs and that's how we get light in the house. It's a farm. Chickens start waking you up by 3 a.m. Okay? Dirt road. It gets so dark at night, if you put your hand in front of your face, you will not see it. You can wave in front of your face. You will not see your hand. That's my mom's house in Haiti. My grandmother's house. Bless her heart. Bless her soul. Rest in peace. Okay. And that place feels more like home than any other place I have ever visited. Some places have come close. Honolulu, for instance, <clears throat> came close. Came very close. Where I live now, very, very, very collegial energy, but it's still not the same. And it, it bothers me, I guess, as you get a little older and you, you know, you have land here and you may have a property there and you have things there. And, you know, 
I say to myself, hey, man, well, you know, I'm going to get a house here. You know, I lived in Thailand for a while. It's like, man, I could get a house in Phuket or this, that, and third. But it's like, yeah, that's great. That'll be fun. Phuket, the beaches are great. The people are great. The food is awesome. The culture is beautiful. But then it's like, why can't I have a house in Haiti? It's two hours off the coast of Miami, off the coast of Florida. Two hours. I can leave at 8 in the morning, be there at 10, 8, 10 a.m., 10, same morning, boom, handle business. I can be back the same day. And I can't do that. Between the kidnappings, before even the president was assassinated, between the kidnappings of, of actual Haitians, ironically, it's people like me or Haitians that moved, migrated to the United States to, to have better lives and better opportunities, and they became nurses, they became educated teachers, doctors, whatever, and then home is always going to be home no matter if you migrate to the united states many many people who've migrated to the united states they migrated here with the with the goal of returning and retiring back in the home of their birth in their birthplace and the people that are getting kidnapped and injured and killed are those very same people that are going back visiting wanting to start businesses and they're the ones who are being kidnapped and held for ransom <clears throat> so when people say, hey, June, what are you gonna, when are you going to go back to Haiti and this, that, and the third? I go, yeah, I can't really do that at the moment. And I, and I won't be able to do that for the foreseeable future. And that was before this assassination. So if you ask me something that I have a dislike, I have an intense dislike uh, for right now, it would be that. That would be one of the things, you know, that I have a passionate dislike for is the fact that going back, and I was speaking about this with a friend of mine who's from another island, and he feels the same way about his island, you know? He's lived there for several years. He's in the United States now. He owns a business. He's successful, and he would love at one point to do what he's doing here, there, or just retiring there and having a place that he can call home. There's nothing like land, ladies and gentlemen. As they say, by land, God isn't making any more of it. There's nothing like it, and there's nothing like buying land and having land in a place you, f you call home and feels like home. There is, that feeling is irreplaceable. And if you've never felt anything like it, let me tell you something. Um, if you've, and if you've ever felt anything like it, it's hard to replace and it's hard to describe is walking through my mom's land and saying this is your grandfather's land and this is where your grandfather did such and such and I felt that connection some people would shrug their shoulders and maybe keep looking at their phones or maybe feel indifferent or disinterested I was fully immersed in that experience I felt it there I felt the presence of my grandfather there I'm not being hyperbolic and not being dramatic when I say that Every time I left Haiti, I, I felt as if I was bringing something with me to wherever else I was going. And, I, and I, um, it made me a better person. It makes me a better person every time. I think about it, my, my, my time there, and I, and I immerse myself in that memory, and I allow that memory to just wash over me, those memories to wash over me. And um, I hate the fact that I can't go back there right now hate the fact that my mother's hometown is being overrun by bandits, by banditry and foolery, and it is descended into a state of chaos 
where there is no president, there is no working constitution, and there is no parliament right now. So Haiti right now, two hours off the coast of the United States, is very similar to what Somalia was some years ago, where they were literally saying it is stateless. It is in a state of chaos, Somalia at one point. So Haiti is our Somalia right now, the, 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 the home of my, the birthplace of my mother, the birthplace of my grandparents and my great-grandparents and my, I think my, even my great-great-grandparents. Um, um, I have an intense dislike for that, passionate dislike for that dynamic. And the reason why I'm bringing it up now is because, you know, I'm born and raised here and um, worked, owned businesses, brick and mortar businesses. I've, I've had businesses where I had to pay rent for the business, pay my own home rent. I had to pay employees and make payroll as well as pay myself and make sure that the business was solvent <clears throat> and, uh, I was left disillusioned, I feel, by the actual nine to five uh, work environment because I feel that early on in my life, when I started working, so excited to get a paycheck. That paycheck is such a powerful thing because money buys you options to, to buy the things that you like and love. It, it, it gives you options to go out and discover things. You want to go to a museum in New York City, it costs to get in. Certain galleries costs, restaurants cost, food costs. You want to eat at that restaurant. So when I got paid, that meant a lot. Someone hired me, and I was already spending that money before I, I, I even got a check, before I worked my first day because I found out how much I was making and how many hours I had to work to make this much and what I could do with that money. And I could save for a car. I can save for freedoms. I can save for a flight. So I think in that respect, within that dynamic, I used to look at supervisors and managers and my quote-unquote bosses. I revered them to a certain degree in a way that I didn't revere many elders. I revered the people in my family. I looked at them as authority figures and elders. My neighbors... The elders, I looked at them. Teachers never really looked at them as an authority figure growing up. Actually, I rebelled against their sense of authority. Never looked at them as an extension of my parents the way you're supposed to, especially the way my parents did in the Caribbean. The, the, the teachers, were the nuns and whatever, the, at the parochial schools in the Caribbean, they looked at the teacher as an extension of the parent. You listen to your teacher. I never listened to my teachers. I, I actually tried not to listen to my teachers. And guess what? <laughs> With respect to a lot of the educators that I know and that I love, and I've, I've been an educator at some points myself, um, I'm glad I didn't fully listen to what they had to say because um, I wouldn't be the thinker I am today. And I'm a decent thinker. I'm a lot better thinker now because I didn't listen to them and I pushed back. But in any case, but when I started working, I became of working age, legally allowed to work in the United States, I... I there was a certain I kind of looked at my bosses. As much as I was rebellious, I looked at my bosses as if they were an extension of my parents, kind of sorta. There was there was a degree of that because that money. 
And so I was looking for sage-like advice from them because you're my manager. Here I am, I'm getting this little check. You're getting more than me. You're my supervisor. You oversee me. So that means you must know a lot more than I do and you, because you're making the big bucks. So that, so I became a big time question asker. I overachieved at the tasks that were assigned to me and I wanted to know what they knew because I wanted to make money because I used to look at them. I want to say this, and this is the truth. If anyone out there is familiar with Star Wars, I looked at a lot of these, I was looking for these bosses to be my version of Jedi Yoda to impart to me the secrets, how to make this bread, <laughs> how to make this money, how to be where they are and beyond. I was looking at them as if they were Captain Kirk and Mr. Spock, like they had the answers. And job after job, no matter how well I performed, I was disappointed and I, was, and I became disillusioned. And oftentimes I became betrayed. Disappointment came through betrayal, came through a lack of acknowledgement, the disappointment through lack of acknowledgement, lack of, of not being rewarded for what I found to be my excellence or excellent work. Um, I realized that there was a game inside of the game and it, through trial and error, I learned that hard work wasn't going to be enough um, to be recognized and to move up certain ladders. And I realized that a lot of my managers weren't as smart as me, even if I had a low-level custodial job at times. And I was working in service industries, and I realized, wow, these people, they don't know anything. I felt like Vampire Louie in the interview with a vampire, and he realized that the vampire, less, less that, had nothing to teach him about immortality. He was a caricature. He was just a... A, a predator, a one-dimensional. He could teach you how to hunt and maybe survive this immortal coil. But that was it. And that was a death in and of itself. And so I felt that when I worked at these jobs. I felt like Vampire Louie, like you guys have nothing to show me except just how to make this little, little check-in perform these tasks, repetitive tasks over and over again, and that's it. And little survival techniques, but nothing sage-like, nothing that was going to really make me a better person. It would just maybe make me a more efficient cog or, or in their machine. <sighs> and the reason why I'm bringing that up is because I just went from hating what's going on in Haiti <laughs> to, to this, is because when I would go to Haiti, I would escape all of that. It was my escape as a as a as a young working as a, a a young worker who didn't know anything yet about whatever. And my mom would say, "Hey, you have a little money?" I said, "Yes, yeah, save the little money. You want to go to Haiti with me?" Yeah, I want to go. And I would go and I would escape. It wasn't without its trials. I don't want to make it seem as if this place was the Garden of Eden. Even the Garden of Eden had its perils. Um, it wasn't all, you know, beaches and sunshine, as you guys see on the news over the last two, three decades. But what I'm saying is it, it I escaped the dynamic that I was becoming in, increasingly disillusioned with. And I was hoping. And even though I'm a political animal. And going against my better judgment, when you're in 
being the political animal that I am, you don't have the luxury of hope. I study data, I study patterns, I study history. And because of that, I don't have the luxury of being hopeful. I know what is based on patterns, based on behaviors, sociological, economic, historical, you, you put all of that in the grinder and you have political science. And so, but I would, I was holding out hope that I would be able to be there now. I'm a young guy. I'm not near, nowhere near retirement age. And I still said to myself, I want to go there and just maybe build some sort of farm situation, a couple of businesses, have it be a more egalitarian setup than I've been accustomed to working in the United States and just eat and relax and get all of that good sunshine and get darker and get stronger and things. And, um, yeah, in a place that I call home. And that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen for the foreseeable future. Luckily for me, fortunately for me, I have been blessed to have gone to several places around the world that make me feel that I feel good. I feel comfortable. I feel comfortable hanging out in Eclair in Paris. I feel comfortable hanging out in, in Prati in Rome or hanging out in, in Phuket, uh, you know what I mean, uh, or, or Cambodia or Waikiki or Gombe. There are places where I can, f I can make it my home. And I will have friends that could possibly turn into family, you know, and um, I'll create community and I'll and I've done that already and I can do it again. It would be nice to do it in the place of of my parents birth, you know, of my ancestry, of my elders and carry on tradition. So my my descendants can take advantage of that as well um, and my cousins and my peers um, I can introduce them to that world, but I can't because this this thing of ours that's here that we're doing here in this country, yeah, um, <laughs> we got to do better. We're not doing better. Uh, we got to do better. And for me, it would have been my escape from it and to just be two hours off of the coast and be able to escape it was something almost utopia-like for me. And um, that's not going to happen. <laughs> like I said, I don't have the luxury of hope. When people go to the polls every 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 uh, four years in November, and they're they're hoping, <laughs> you're you're hoping that things will be different with this one. How how much you hope it's going to be different, I don't know, but you you're hoping. You know, but deep down inside, I think you know things are um things things aren't gonna aren't gonna change a whole lot, and um so spoke to a couple of people today in my family that are now in the United States that are you know that own businesses in Haiti, and these are the kind of people that never leave Haiti. They never leave. When I say never leave, they visit. They come to the United States. They're extremely successful. They come to the United States to visit people, to shop, and then they go back. And when I say shop, I mean shop. I mean not outlet shop. Real luxury item shopping, and they ship it back. And I don't care how much uprising, protests, coups, whatever's going on, they stay there. 
and they handle it and they hold down the fort and they protect their businesses. The mere fact that these same people who never leave decade after decade, they're always there, that they're actually here in Florida right now. They're in parts of Florida. They're in parts of New York. They're in parts of Jersey. They're in parts of Chicago. And they're calling me like, hey, June. I'm like, hey, where are you? They're like, I'm in Florida. How long are you going to be here? Are you visiting? They're like, oh. Because I'm assuming even with a president being assassinated and kidnapped, they're going to go back. No. They're like, oh, no, we're here for a while. We don't know when we're going back. And I didn't have to, uh, I didn't have to uh, question them any further on that. I knew what that was. I, I knew that, oh, it's worse than I thought. Because if they're here and not there, that means it's worse than I thought. And... um that that uh brings me it's a it's a it's a certain level of uh sh- i guess of chagrin i chagrin at that thought that i don't want to say they've given up they've had to escape they had to th- this was even unprecedented for them and if it's unprecedented for them whoa so, you know, um, there is no teachable anything in this particular, uh, there's no in- inroad or revelation in this particular episode. This is just me speaking out loud, thinking out loud or feeling out loud about situations. Um, because I look at our country and if you ask me what I <laughs> intensely dislike, that list is long. And I think that in and of itself would be a whole other, not just show, it would be a whole other platform. I would have to start a whole new kind of show just to speak about that. And we're not going to do that. We'll speak about certain things from time to time that I think we need to improve upon. But we're not going to do that kind of show. We're not going to turn that platform into that. But that's something I wanted to bring up to you guys. I just wanted to let you know that... um, Keep your positive thoughts if you can. Send your positive thoughts and energies. And if you're a, if you're a prayerful person, send your prayers out. If not, send your vibes out. Whatever terminology you want to use, send it out to that country. There are some beautiful, hardworking, strong-minded, strong-backboned individuals from that country. That country has a rich rich culture and tradition of hardworking people that overcome uh, the most grievous of adversity and they find a way to walk head upright. I've never seen poor people walk with such dignity. You, there's this, there are these men and, and the women, they'll have maybe two pairs of pants or two skirts and the man will have one or two shirts and he's walking down the street and he's walking as if he's a mannequin. He's so upright. He has his little fedora on, his little cheap hat, and I would see these older men walking down the street. Don't have two pennies to rub together, but you would not know it by the stately manner by which they conduct themselves. You wouldn't know that they didn't have anything that they had a little hut where you walk in the front and you fall out the back immediately you wouldn't know that's the kind of people that used to be in my mom that are that are in my mom's hometown 
but people that have a great respect for themselves and great respect for others. So to know that they're being overrun by bandits and, and foolery that are, that's, I don't want to say is outside of their control. Like I said, politics aside, there's a lot going on in that country that can be discussed. But to know that those people are, are under siege, are being terrorized by forces way bigger than they are. <laughs> Outside forces, internal as well as many external forces. There are powers that be that are making their lives to a degree a living hell. And they found a way to live a dignified life throughout everything. And um, I want you to think about those men and women because I know them personally. I see them. I would, I would people watch when I was there. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm hyper observant. And um, I would watch people and I would watch how they walk and see how they would greet me. And they would be broker than broke. You don't know this kind of broke. Your, your idea of broke is not their idea of broke. Your first world broke is a luxury to these people. Believe me when I tell you that. When they say first world problems, and, and I know a lot of my friends had a problem with that phrase, but a lot of those friends that had a problem with that phrase had never been to the third world. And if they'd been to the third world, they were on an airplane, they flew in into a resort. They've never experienced what people experience in the third world. I've seen it close up and personal in several countries. Not staying at my fancy three and a half, four star hotel, not, not, not wearing my linens and my designer linens and sunglasses. No, just cargo pants, flip flops, t-shirt, and I'm sleeping on the floor too. And it, this is not some sort of, uh, tour experience where I'm, tr I'm trying to feel what the mat, what the people feel. No family. I'm visiting family. Some of my family live very high on the hog. They live better than most people live here. I've, I do have family like that. They have servants and, and several homes on the property, things like that. You, you go in through the front gate and a half a mile later, you finally hit the quote unquote main house. Yeah, I have them. I have them, too. But I also have the family where you open up the front, you open up the door and it's one room. That one room you're in is the house. And everyone has these rollout mats that they sleep on. And I grab a rollout mat and that's where I'm sleeping on too tonight with the mosquitoes and the heat, the, the, the 100 degree heat at at night. So you're you're and and, you know, the money that they get sent from the United States, from family members that have migrated and are making a little living. That's the money they use to eat. There is no electricity. There's just candles. There is no running water. You have to go to a well, and that well is not close. And the kids are sharing shoes. Who's going to the well? Okay, so you get the shoes today. It's a little girl wearing shoes, and a boy is wearing the girl's shoe. That's what's going on. And those people find a way to walk with dignity. I have a great respect for these people. And they deserve better. But in this life, you don't get what you deserve. You only get what you fight for and you only get what you negotiate. That's the world. That's why I don't believe in hope. 
I believe in action. Hope doesn't help if you don't back it up with action. And sometimes it may take your whole life. It may take generations upon generations to make the changes, to get the changes. But you have to be vigilant and diligent. But that's a that's a story for another day. Right now, what we're going to do is send out as much positive energy as we can to the beautiful people of Haiti. So I guess we're going to call this episode What I Hate About What's Going On in Haiti. <laughs> right? Some people that I know that are friends of mine and family members, they're going to want me to speak politically because they know I know a thing or two about what's going on, but I'm not going to do that. I'm not. I'm thinking about the people right now. I'm not thinking about... United States, France, I'm not thinking about elitist this and bourgeoisie and blah, blah, I'm not going there. I'm thinking about the people on the ground right now, not how they got here, which is what I usually do, but the fact that they are here. Yeah. All right. Hope you guys have a wonderful night because it's nighttime where I am right now. And um, until we meet again, thank you.